Welcome everybody, this is No Bullshit Podcast, Fan Up Gamers with Honest Interview segment. We're back uh, with, uh, with interviews, we're asking tough questions, having fun, but also dropping knowledge with in- gaming industry people. And today we have Eric from Sisu Ventures over here. Welcome, and myself, Matja Lancher, is on the mic. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, well, how are you, Eric, First, uh, in the first place? Doing great. Loving it. Uh, it's it's crazy <laughs> times, right? Um, a lot of yeah. changes in the industry. We can see macroeconomic changes, change, you know, changing for everybody, inflation. So I think everyone's a little bit concerned. And uh, on the other hand, they're in, in times like these, that opportunities present themselves that yeah. are normally not there. So I think most awesome companies are built in... Uh, in these uh, times, downturn. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah, definitely uh, a lot of opportunities out there for sure. Um can uh, yeah, let's let's start uh with like a brief introduction on your side. Can you can you tell I mean, we know each other for some time, but can you can you tell uh the audience uh, a little bit about yourself? Yes, yeah, so I'll I'll try to be brief. It's not so easy because I've been I in know. the gaming industry over 30 years now, so it's going to take a little bit of time to get through it, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go quickly. So Okay, 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 perfect. I, I started in the late 80s uh, making games on, uh, on the Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo where we had to rework uh, the Genesis to get access to the code. We weren't a licensed developer or anything like that. Uh, so this is back in Norway where I'm from originally, um, which then turned into Funcom, which you know is still around. I was uh, the yeah. founder and CEO of, of Funcom, and was I think was sold to Tencent last year. Yeah. Took them private and and acquired them. So I'm I'm very proud of the fact that a company that I started uh, 30 years ago still making games uh, today. That's really cool. Even though I'm you know I I know the people there, but I'm not you know I'm not that much in touch with them. But um, after after Funcom, I moved to the United States. Um, and was uh, co-managing director of Looking Glass Studios, uh, which is uh, back then was a pretty famous studio. It's kind of nostalgia these days with the Thief <laughs> series and System Shock 2 and some of these games that I think are still considered some of the uh, games in the top 100 of all time. So at the time, you know, very innovative yeah. and unique titles. So that was a lot of fun. And then I spent a couple of years learning what not to do in terms of being an entrepreneur, <laughs> working at EA, um, very large teams, very short development cycles, a yeah. lot of wasted resources. But on the other hand, going through kind of like a car wreck in slow motion teaches you a lot. Of, uh, and it's difficult to explain how hard it is to run a really big team with a really short development cycle, unless you've been in the middle of it. So I think that was that was really useful. And then in 2008, I came back to Europe, uh, working with Somali, one of the uh, co-founders of Sisu, uh, yeah. for the first time. He had a studio that he had started um, that had gone a little bit sideways. They were struggling. So I helped him turn the team around. Um, and then Epic uh, came calling. They had a studio in Poland that had been in pre-production for a really long time on an awesome title called Bulletstorm. Um, 
And they were looking for someone who could come in and, and turn that studio around. So I was a studio director there, which was super fun. I mean, that was a really fun game to work mm -hmm. on. And I loved uh, working with people there. Um, and then after that, I started noticing that I was playing more games on my, on my phone than I was on my console. Okay. And I felt like free-to-play was something new and weird. I didn't necessarily like it. Um, <laughs> so I felt like I needed to expose myself to it to learn more about it. So I became the head of Disney's mobile division um, that was based in Prague, which was, which was very interesting because when I, when I talked to them, <clears throat> I pitched this idea of being like the Pixar within the Disney yeah. uh, organization where coming up with really awesome original IPs and great games, right? And they were like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we want. And then when I got there, it was more like, hey, can we, tie, can we take like the top three top grossing and reskin them with a Disney IP? Perfect. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as an exciting opportunity as I wanted it to be, but I learned a lot about free-to-play and it sort of had a big impact on, on uh, what I ended up doing after that. But first... Um, I had one more big turnaround operation in me, and that was Take-Two. Um, they hired me as the president of 2K Czech mm -hmm. I was working on Mafia 3, which was similar to uh, Bulletstorm in that it was a really big team, been in pre-production for a really long time. They hadn't figured really out what the game was all about. And that was kind of the one thing that I saw throughout my career in Broken Studios is that they, they lacked clarity of vision when it came to what the game was that they were mm -hmm. working on. And that's really hard when you have 200 people working on your game and you walk around the hallways and you're asking people, so what's our game about? And you get like 200 different answers. Then it's impossible to make something great. So the one technique that I used for all of the studios that I helped sort of turn themselves around was to get that clarity of vision, um, narrow it down as, as much as possible, even into like a short sentence or a few words, so that when you would ask 200 people, they would all have the same answer, so that when a team that makes hundreds of decisions per day are making them cohesively towards one uh, big and clear vision, right? So that was the number one element. The second element was this concept of giving people autonomy, um, but that's really hard to do when nobody knows what you're making, right? So, but as soon as people understand what kind of game they're making, uh, then uh, autonomy becomes the rocket fuel for studios. So, after shipping Mafia Three, which took a really long time, took uh, like six years, a lot of people, big budget, um, I decided that I wanted to try something very different. So, I helped four new studios. Mm get off the ground. I helped them clarify their vision, awesome company culture, um, find co-founders, and then I helped them raise money and um, get their game started, help them with publishing and, and, and basically everything. So that was super fun. And it was interesting because since I knew Somali, uh, I pitched it to Sisu and Sisu was first money in on nice. two of those companies. Okay. <laughs> um, and then... 
they were like, hey, Eric, we have a portfolio company over here. It's kind of struggling. I remember yeah, okay. you really helped out on one of my previous studios. Can you go there and, and help them out a little bit? And so I did that, and I thought that was really fun. So I became an investor in CISU 2. Um, and then when CISU decided to do the third fund, which is a much bigger fund, it's like a 10 times bigger fund than the previous funds, they asked me if I wanted to join as a general manager. And it was obvious because I, I love starting companies, as you know. Yep. Um, and when you're an investor, you kind of get the enthusiasm and the excitement of being an entrepreneur because CISU is so early. We're usually first money in, sometimes like pre-PowerPoint, right? There's like two guys <laughs> that we know wants to right. start here's a company. Yeah, and we're like, here's the money. Okay. Um, and then we help them with the deck. We help them find co-founders. We put everything together with them. And then we get to share in that level of excitement multiplied by the number of portfolio companies, which, you know, in CISU has over the years invested in more than 70 companies. Yeah. So it really is a dream job. Nice. Yeah. But uh, besides, uh, you know, uh, helping uh, companies uh, from the start, uh, from the ground up, like what different skills and requirements do you need for like, you know, uh, being a general partner at CISU Ventures? Well, being able to execute well uh, in that position. I think CISU is one of the oldest uh, funds in, in the game space. That was 100% uh, investing in, in, in games, but was always doing it like a side project because uh, <laughs> Somali was okay. starting companies. You know, Somali yeah. is a serial entrepreneur, right, yeah. in the game space. I think he started like seven or eight companies. And Paul was a serial fund creator, starting okay. funds here, incubators there. Oh, nice. So CISU was always kind of like a, a, a side thing, but it was doing so well. Like the, the, the amount of money returned to investors and the kind of companies they invested in, it had amazing uh, results. So they decided to like do this full-time and, and bring me in. And I think they saw in me what they saw in themselves, which is a studio operator like an ex-CEO yeah. of game studios. And CISU is very unique in that respect. There are very few funds that have studio operators as the general partners. Um, it's more people with finance background mm. that come from the fund side. They're like, hey, games are hot. Let's invest yeah. in games. Um, but for those funds, I think it's a little bit harder to pick the winners based on, you know, pre-product, pre-metrics, pre-everything. Yeah. But then, right? like, how do, how do you choose these, these people based on what? Because, you know, like, someone, someone close to you comes and like, hey, so we have this idea. And it's like, yeah, there's, here's the money. And uh, let's see what happens. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, so there, there's some repeat founders that come to us that we have worked with shoulder to shoulder on really tough projects. We know that they were carrying the project on their shoulders to the finish mm. line. Yeah. And since then, and we've known them for 20 years, right? And since then, they've had a couple of exits and they've started other companies and they come to us and they go, we're thinking about starting a new company. And we're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. That's, okay. that's the easy part because we already know them. We know they're going to be successful. 
Yeah. Uh, well, to put it this way, we don't know if they're going to be successful, but we know we want to work with them because we yeah. know they're awesome. There's yeah, no there are a higher chance of being successful because they've done it before. Yeah. Okay. Um, other times we, we run into people that come through our network that we didn't know before, but we get to know them. We spend time with them. I've been sitting in on production meetings and stand-up meetings and <laughs> people that we didn't know just to get to know them better, to understand mm -hmm. the company culture, the team yeah. dynamics. Uh, and then we do obviously do more due diligence and we talk to a lot of people and things like that. But ultimately, um, most of the deals that we do come from people we know, network, mm -hmm. because we've, I think I've hired in my 30 years in the industry, hired over a thousand people and a Somali, yeah. similar, Paul knows yeah. everybody. Paul is like <laughs> a human router. Okay. Um, so it's, sometimes it's like you have a big network, but also after hiring that many people, you do get a feel mm. for people and their personalities and, and how they would work together and how you would work with them and sort of in, in being able to talk to people. So in particular with Sisu, I think to become a general manager, you actually do need to have that uh, studio operator background, I think. At least that was that's the case for all three of the partners in the studio. Okay, and uh, when you mentioned the uh, well, you do the due diligence, of course. Well, you should <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> but how how do you do your homework? Like, what's the what's the, exactly the process? Well, you said that you're sitting on the or well, you're having the the daily standups and trying to be on the product meetings. What else? So this is interesting. Well, it, it's kind of, a, a, it starts with a clear vision. Hmm. Um, you, and you can see that in the deck. Yeah. First time yeah. they show the deck, they will say, you know, this is what we want to achieve, right? And if, if it's not clear, that's a, that's a bad sign. So yeah. usually what we would do then, we would ask, we would drill down deep and see, do they really know what kind of, company they want to build and what kind of games that they want to make. Because sometimes um, you can have a mediocre team come up with a really great idea and even get some early metrics that looks pretty promising. Yeah. But you know that they will find a way to screw it up versus a really good team <laughs> with a mediocre idea. You will, you know, that they'll find a way to, to pivot away from that bad idea and and yeah. find something that works. So, I know that's a cliche that everybody says. Well, you know, the team is important, but it is important. So, of course, yeah, hundred percent. So it's, the uh, the deck is kind of a reflection of the team. Um, you you would like to see ten slides, twelve slides max. You would like to see a crystal clear vision. A, a large market, uh, some homework done on um, what's unique and how they're going to defend their unique aspects and can, can, company can culture. Can you give me a, like a like a, like <clears throat> example of very clear vision that you've seen in the pitch decks? <clears throat> that like okay, so this is it. This is what I want to see in the pitch decks. Like this is uh, exactly the vision that I want to <clears throat> I want to see with the companies. So I don't know. What was the like the best 
line uh, in in that deck that you said you thought that this is it. This is uh, this is really strong. They know what they're talking about. You know, that's almost impossible to answer because okay. everyone is different. Like everyone yeah. is uh, attacking a particular aspect of the industry. Yeah. But I would say lately there's a theme in the companies that we like when it come to come to us mm-hmm. with a vision, especially if it's in mobile. And that is they're, they're tackling the UA challenge, right? Okay. They're saying... Um, because of the changes that Apple made and Google are about to make, targeted marketing is now much more difficult and a lot more expensive. So we are trying something different. Like Mm -hmm. we are collecting a bunch of free-to-play games and making them into a subscription, like a meta game pass where you can earn... uh, bonuses and rewards across multiple games and there's a rev share from the subscription right yeah they're 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 trying to to sort of work around this whole concept of ua is tough ua was always difficult yeah exactly but now it's even harder it is and it's not going to get any better but it's like uh Everybody can uh, make this excuse like, well, we can't scale because, well, UA is, is hard. Uh, these are the changes that Apple made and Google is going to make. So, you know, mobile is dead. But is it? Is it really the, the case? We don't think so. Okay, good. Because I'm, I've am i been hearing this, uh, especially when I was at big PGC Helsinki po- uh, conference, everybody was yeah. talking about, well, mobile free-to-play is dead. Well, I, I think so. It's not that, but uh, well, I would definitely love to hear your uh, perspective on this. Well, I think a lot of people said mobile free-to-play is dead in the beginning, even before it started. There were a lot of people that were saying, oh, look, these are just Skinner boxes. Nobody nobody with their in their right mind will actually <laughs> play these games. You only pay to like reduce the pain of how terrible the games are. But we worked around that, right? We started making great games that had um, aggressive but worthwhile monetization. Like players felt like they were getting value out of the great games that did uh, free-to-play monetization correctly. And I think the same thing is happening now. I love the fact that a lot of people are saying, oh, mobile free-to-play is dead. We are now only investing in PC and console or cross-platform. Yeah. And, and we're like, perfect. Yeah, there's more opportunity for yeah. us believers in the free-to-play space and the mobile especially. Yeah, exactly. And if you remember, um, when free-to-play blew up, there were some companies that were pioneers in that space that have uh, uh, that made great games. And it's not like in console and PC, you make a great game and then you have to do a sequel like in a few years to continue to make money. It's the same games that are still there, still making money, still, you know, being number one. They've, they've kind of found their uh, fort and they're, and they're able to defend it. And I think the same thing will happen in mobile free-to-play when people find the new way to scale uh, great yeah. games. Um, it's The jury is still out on what that is. Is yeah. it some kind of um, viral ability uh, is it something that is related to a different um, way of valuing uh, players' input? Um, 
I don't, I don't really know. So we're kind of hedging our bets on investing in several mobile studios nice. that are doing things differently. They're like, hey, we're doing it like this and we're trying this. And, and we'd be like, hey, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Let's try that's it. Great. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I've been hearing this, uh, well, since I'm well, the UA guy, obviously I'm hearing the, the, the UA challenges and everybody says that, you know, the targeting whales and the, the big spenders is hard and now it's most like impossible. Well, the traditional way of targeting is that for sure. I mean, from interest lookalikes and whatever you you would use in the past, you can't use it on iOS. Most probably won't be able to use it on Google in a couple of years. But it's everything is shifting into like data and event based targeting, where you can do the most probably like the similar stuff that you did before. It's just like you need to find the workaround. And I'm always mm-hmm. optimistic about the, the UA landscape, and uh, I found it really, really interesting, like how everything is changing. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I would always say it's it's hard. It's not going to get any easier, but it's still possible to to scale the game. But as you said, finding new ways how to do it. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, is the is the new way also like uh, like blockchain gaming? That's a question. Are you investing in like games uh, in like web free space or planning to to do that kind of investments? We do. Okay. Uh, a couple of studios. We got into web three because we had already invested in the companies because we loved the team and the games yeah. that we're making that were free to play for mobile, right? So, and they were like, "Hey, actually, our game is perfectly suited, yeah, for web three." And uh, we would like to build um, a layer that is, uh, it's not, it doesn't feel like um, like incompatible with the game in any way. It really enhances the game. So we've done a couple of uh, those. We sort of fell into it backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also made some investments in um, Web3 companies that were... Um, Again, you know, our investment thesis is we invest in uh, great founders. So they just happened to be great founders that we knew and wanted to work with. And they said to us they want to do Web3. And so we were like, okay. Yeah, all right. You know, and, you know, it's interesting because when we were raising money for the fund, I think think most entrepreneurs forget the fact that the VCs that, that are sitting on the other side of the video conference I've been doing exactly what you're doing right now, like going out, asking for money, you know, coming up with a pitch, clear vision. How are you going to earn money? What is your investment thesis? And our investment thesis was a little bit difficult for some uh, uh, LPs or investors yeah, yeah. to understand because we said, well, we go where the founders go. And they'd be like, well, what if they want to do VR? And then we said, well, then, yeah. you know, they'll do VR. We support, yeah, we support them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in, in some cases, that turned into an amazing company like Resolution Games. Um, have, is one of the market leaders in VR publishing now. And they were profitable every year through the VR nuclear winter because nice. they were a good team, right? Yeah. So. That's kind of how we look at it when it comes to Web3 as well. Okay. We probably wouldn't invest in a Web3 company just because we were like, hey, this is a quick buck. You know, this is a speculative, awesome yeah. uh, Web3 economy. Um, yeah. 
let's let's jump in and out. We're thinking, you know, seven to ten years uh, mm-hmm. horizon. So, but we do think, just like free to play didn't make any sense to people when it started, we're thinking that NFTs, Web three, blockchain, play to earn, whatever it is uh, you want to call it, does introduce a new concept that is compelling. Like if you would ask any person that plays a lot of games today, you would say, would you want to pay for a game or would you want to make money playing a game? Yeah. Most people would choose the latter if, it, if the game is good. If that was the two competitive elements, one you have to pay up front or pay after you started playing, and the other one you can earn money if you're playing. That is enough to me to say there's something there, even if it hasn't been done the right way yet, which free-to-play wasn't done well in the beginning either. Of course. It's a, it's an evolution. And that's, exactly. that's how, it, how it goes. It needs to start somewhere and it's, it's, it's super new. But so, so you're not looking like for companies, but rather than like founders. Is, uh-huh. would, that, would that be right? Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so what kind of... Well, what are you looking for when uh, you know trying to invest in different stages? I mean, or is it only like the pre-PowerPoint, uh, or you are investing in in different stages afterward in the companies? So we do pre-PowerPoint. We do um, uh, pre-seed. Okay. Pre-seed is usually they they've created their own deck. Yeah. Um, they have a co-founding team, um, and they have an idea for what they want to do. Right. Okay. That's a pre-seed round. The, the pre-PowerPoint round is what we call built by Sisu, which is almost like a incubator in a way. Right, it, okay. It's just, it's just one or two guys with an idea, and then we can add like another three, four, five co-founders to that team. We will help them recruit their co-founding team. We will help them put the deck together, and we will help them raise the money, hmm. um, which I think it, we're the only fund in the world that uh, does that, I think. Um, we also do seed rounds where we are not the first money in mm-hmm. or even the second round. You know, sometimes people do like a pre-pre-seed or a pre-seed. Yeah. We do uh, seed rounds. We've also, we can also do um, a series A, which is, you know, after seed. Yeah. But that normally doesn't happen. It would be mm-hmm. because we want to... we. We have a founder that uh, we that was outside of our network, but mm-hmm. really wants to be a, be a part of the Sisu family because okay. they've heard from other founders that holy crap, this is really cool! <laughs> like a bunch of people helping each other yeah. within within the portfolio uh, that they want to be a part of. So they, they reach out to us and they say, "Hey, can you do you want to write a small check and be part of our <laughs> journey?" And then we're okay. like, "Yeah, we we can do that." Nice. Okay. Then, so you're working very close with founders with this like pre uh, PowerPoint stage. Like, what would be the advice for for these guys? Even you know, if they're not in the CISU family yet, like, what should they do just to be prepared for? Well, the best prepared for for taking the the VC money or just to start a company. Yeah. Um, most important thing I would say, other than clarity of vision, would be a balanced co-founding team. Mm. Okay. As a UA expert, if you wanted to start a company, you know a lot of UA people. 
you would be very tempted to recruit some of the best UA people that you no, have. No, no way, no way, no way. <laughs> okay. Well, we why, all... would I, why would I do that? I mean, it's it, it's uh, it wouldn't be like you said, very balanced. I I would need uh, well, let's say, well, I would start with the like CTO, I guess, and mm -hmm. then uh, then the product guy, and then uh, who else would I need? Well, you would be surprised to know that you do need a business guy. And often, oh, yeah, okay, I guess, right, okay. Often we see uh, programmers, if it's a programmer heavy yeah. founding team, they they like to hire other programmers. They're like, oh, yeah. he's, a, he's our product guy. And we're like, we're looking at his background. He's like, well, he's been a programmer and yeah, he okay. was a director of technology. Where's the product experience? Oh, okay, well, yeah. he also, right? Um, <laughs> Artists are very familiar with other artists. They tend to, you know, if the if the CEO is an artist, they tend to be yeah. very art heavy. So, mm -hmm. well, the number one thing we remind people of, of of how important it is is to have the business person, UA, the technology, the design, and the art. You need to mm -hmm. have all of those, and you and it is a good idea to have them all at the level at the same level. Okay. Um, that they why, all why 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 is the same level important? Because if you're let's say you feel that UA is not that important, and you uh, but technology is so you have a CTO mm -hmm. and then you have a, a a manager of UA, yeah, right. All of a sudden you're showing by titles and responsibility within the organization that technology is much more important. But if you have at the C level, same level or director level, they're all the same level. That means every single part of the disciplines, yeah. they balance each other out and they're equally important. But you could argue that the, the UA is not that important in the in the like first stage because, well, you could hire someone on the UA side. I mean, and then just to help out with the, the rest of the, the founders with any like marketability test pre or research or whatever well that's why we like it when a team does have a ua a senior ua person from the very beginning because it yeah. it signals the fact that the a they take it seriously yeah and they think and about B, like, how, how to make it work yeah and and it's you you can't you can't replace uh, uh marketability testing with a prototype that's live and that you can that you can get better measurements from, but you can yeah. get an idea, you can get a hint on whether the theme or the concept or the core gameplay or the progression. I mean, a lot of this stuff can be faked in ads, yeah, and can be exposed to your target audience or different audiences. So you can make a lot more educated guesses on where it is that you're going, and you therefore can get a lot of answers much sooner. Yeah, I, I totally understand. <clears throat> but I usually see companies and founders, it's more like, like you said, either like programmer or uh, a product uh, team. And then uh, the UA comes afterwards, they build the, the prototype and then afterwards they see like, oh, well, now what? Now we need to get someone from the outside to, to help us with the UA. Then, then they find out it's like CPIs are super high because, well, they have a niche game and they didn't think about the, you don't, the, exactly. the, the market options. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, but then um, 
what would be um can you explain like how the you know the gaming vc model or business works like how many home runs do you need to hit to like per failure and like how how does how is the the, the ratio looks like well it's interesting because every time we invest in a company we think that that is the company that's going to pay back the whole fund of course <laughs> uh, which never happens obviously it's, yeah nobody's betting a thousand um but you should invest and only invest in companies that you do think could pay back the entire fund with one exit yeah um and that becomes a little bit of a filter for the kind of companies you invest in because there's so many cute companies they are cute and cozy and you can tell that the founders they are in it for the lifestyle yeah they okay. they want to make they <laughs> want to make a game that makes enough money that they don't have to grow and makes a nice profit and it's just it's a pure um love project yeah and i think it's amazing i think the industry needs those games and i love that they are uh existing and that they're able to make it, the wheels turn on that but it doesn't fit the vc model um so there are quite a few companies that we have to say no to because we're like hey we want to play the game and we love what you guys are doing we just can't invest uh in you because of of the way that you see the world um so it's very important that we that we invest in companies that we think can be a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. Um Sisu 1 I think invested in a company that did become a billion dollar company by the end which was Small Giant. Yeah. Um I think by, by the time all the earnouts were paid out by Zynga it was uh, just over a billion I think. So it is it is possible and that's that's kind of how we look at it but we know that most likely if we invest in 30 40 companies in yeah. this fund there's only probably only one that can have that mm. kind of returns yeah. but then the hope is that only 10 or so will fail yeah uh 10 or so will be plugging along but you know maybe just like an accu hire yeah 10 of them will be very successful and then one you know will do like some crazy number yeah crazy number and when do you think it's uh, it's better to to take like vc money and when is it better to just bootstrap the uh, the company i mean like what are the the pros and cons if you can bootstrap if you can find money somewhere or do some other jobs on the side and and build your company with your own sweat it's always better to a point yeah okay um if you if you come to a vc and and all you have is a deck and everyone else is everyone on your co-founding team is working somewhere else they didn't quit their jobs yet yeah they didn't put any skin in the game it's not super attractive of course um but if you've been like hey i've been working two jobs on the side and we've been working on this for six months we have a playable prototype 
that has, uh, and we only focused on day one retention. We didn't care about anything else. And this is what we got. And now we're thinking, this is a unique opportunity. We would like to scale. We've, we've found like five people that we would like to bring on. We'd like to scale the company. And we would like to build a real business around our unique skill set, whatever that is. That's very attractive. Okay. And it's the right time to, um, to, to raise money. I, I don't think there are many examples of studios that were able to uh, soft launch, then launch without raising money or worse, doing publishing deals. Like the worst thing you can do, <laughs> in my opinion, is to work with a mobile publisher because they, you know, with milestone payments, which is probably what, what they would give you, they take over control over the project. Even the even the best ones that are that are trying to be nice to developers, just because you have a milestone deliverable with a check attached to it, you're going to develop the game according to what that milestone says, and not the things that you notice when the game is being built that it needs. So, um, yeah. I hear horror stories uh, from yeah. developers, smaller, mid-size, uh, doesn't matter that much, that work with a mobile game publisher because they were not experienced enough and they, you know, they listened to them, uh, got some well, interesting numbers on paper, but then uh, eventually got screwed because, like you said, they took over the game and then eventually they wanted to start self-publishing and they then they started self-publishing because, well, it didn't make sense and they, they wanted to divorce from this relationship as soon as they yeah. You know, we, we do make some premium uh, uh, game investments as well. And in that case, what we will do is that we will invest money into the game. They will build the game until maybe pre-alpha with uh, a couple of rounds of investments from different VCs that we would usually start the process and help them raise the money. They get to pre-alpha. We take them to um, Sony and Microsoft mm. and uh, sometimes to Epic. And we say, uh, are you interested in a timed exclusive six months for X millions of dollars, depending on how attractive the game is, which then should be enough to get to beta probably. And at beta, when you have the exclusive uh, deal done with uh, with the platforms and you've raised enough money to you know build out the entire game, only then do you talk to a publisher. Hmm. You're like uh, six to nine months away from from the release date, and then you take you talk to publishers, but you you pitch them against each other and you say these are the terms. Are you willing to do it or not? They're basically becoming distributors of your game at that point, um, and they have to pay an upfront fee a minimum guarantee. If you have a really good game, you could get like some, some pretty nice um, funds from that that would fund you like halfway into your next game. So at that point, you, you no matter what your game does in terms of sales, you're already ready for your next game. Um, in mobile, it's a little bit different, but in, in, in console and PC, that is kind of what the publishers are useful for, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, 
publishers are very uh, very different topic to to unpack uh, i think it's uh, it's always interesting to to talk to small and mid-sized developers about their uh, experiences uh, but is there uh, f- from your side is there like a, a regret or biggest regret uh, of a company that you actually passed on and didn't invest uh, and now it's like oh well we should but we we pulled all pulled out is there a company like that no um <laughs> there was one company that looked like it should have been uh that we should have regretted not investing in them yeah uh i think that uh, i can't remember the name exactly i think it was 1047 do you remember that yeah yeah yeah. they did that um uh it's a shooter with the shooter portal yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and now and they closed the game as well yeah So, but when they, I think they raised a bunch of money at a hundred million valuation or something yeah. like that in the next round, we were, we were looking at them in the previous round mm-hmm. and thought about it, but decided in the end not to do it. Not because we didn't like the founders. We just didn't know them that well. Okay. And, um, it was very early, uh, in fund three. So we were still like trying to figure mm-hmm. out exactly, um, what we should be doing, but at, at, for for a couple of months there when they were like shooting up the it looked like they were unstoppable and you know millions of downloads at that point we were a little bit like you know did we miss something was it you know and and it could uh, it could still be that they're going to be incredibly successful because they've raised a lot of money uh, they completely reset and they're starting from scratch which may turn out to be a, a very smart decision Right. So I think that would be the only one that we passed on that I would like keep an eye on for the future to see if maybe we've been maybe we missed one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I have uh, like two last questions. Oh, well, well, one last question and then the, there is the the rapid quiz segment I, I like to do. So the question is like what's your favorite book favorite book and why? Well, it's <laughs> It's a little bit difficult to choose. I will okay. I will give you my three favorites and then I'll okay. pick one of them. Okay. So, um Creativity Inc. Mm-hmm. by the the CEO of Pixar. It's a very good book. Um 0 to 1 Peter Thiel. It's a very good book. And then uh Built to Last. It's also a very good book. And and they're all kind of around the same theme of organizational structures that work really well. And part of the reason why is that in, in, in CISUs invested in some companies that you would you would almost call them social experiments more than mobile game studios. Uh Lightheart is an example of a company where it's extremely flat organizational structure there basically is none yeah. um people can uh, check in changes to the game if they want to they can ask they'll ask for advice they have the advice model but if they feel strongly that this is going to make the game better they just they just do it and a lot of stuff around you know like uh, extreme openness mm-hmm. around financials and salaries people pick their own salaries things like that which is very different. So we we like when um companies are trying different things 
like teal organizations or yeah. extremely flat or uh, experimenting with not just making great games, but making great organizations that can make great games. Um, but if I had to pick a favorite of those three, it would be Creativity Inc., I think. Okay, I thought you would say a build to last, but okay. That's that's definitely my favorite book. Oh, okay, cool. It's a close it's a close choice between those three. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty much. All right. So this is like the the rapid quiz I, I, I like, which is like a set of multiple questions. Don't worry, it's like five questions. And you need to answer in like one or two seconds. So if I ask you like what would you choose, like black or white, and you answer okay perfect so okay for what would you choose uh it's or yeah what would you choose console or mobile mobile okay bulletstorm or mafia 3 bulletstorm okay smaller teams or bigger teams smaller teams okay czech republic or united states czech republic <laughs> okay uh, disney or sisu ventures sisu ventures <laughs> okay okay that's it eric uh thanks thanks a lot for uh for the discussion uh yeah well uh can you share like uh any contact details for audience uh, so if they can uh, or they want to reach you uh where they can yeah you can go to our website which is uh sisu.vc uh that's a good place to start uh we we tried to explain kind of what we're looking for mm -hmm. and what's important and what we believe in like clarity of vision, right? I've been saying it a lot today. We expect yep. that from portfolio companies, but it's the same thing for Sisu. We follow great entrepreneurs. Mm. We support them and help them in any way we possibly can. Um, that's our singular vision. Yes. Try and help the industry be a better place. Um, so that's a good, that's a good place to reach out and, uh, and get in contact with us from there. Perfect. Again, thank you very much for coming. Uh, I really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you so thank much. You. It was great. Nice. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.